0: From True Africa, I'm Claude Winitsky, and this is Limitless. In this episode, we're talking football.
1: Africa has a chance to be the biggest producer of talent in the world.
2: Talent is not enough if you're not willing to work hard.
3: They attacked the girls. They called them tomboys.
1: Welcome to
0: Limitless, the podcast that asks the questions that matter for Africa. We're looking for African solutions to African problems. In each episode, we're asking three guests one question that matters to Africans. And, no surprise, they don't always agree. The Limitless podcast is supported by the U.S. Department of State and the Scenefire Foundation. Okay, let's name some of the greats of African football. Didier Drogba. Samuel Eto, George Weah, Yaya Toure, Emmanuel de Bayor. Okay, I only put him in because he's Togolese, like me. But whether you agree with me or not, those icons are in the past. What about the future? How can we develop more great African footballers? Is it only about investment? Talent? Or do we need to change our mindset completely? Listen on. First up, is Kingsley Pungong, founder of Rainbow Sports, a sports company which owns and operates two professional football clubs in Cameroon and the Czech Republic, as well as a US-based sports marketing company. Kingsley started off by telling me which football players he's discovered.
1: We found a lot of valuable players uh, in the past and we still do that in the present. Uh, We had the MVP of the African Nations Cup in 2017. Christian Basogog, we have internationals in the Cameroon national team like Oyongo. Uh, Some income from Ghana came through our pipeline because we discovered him when was, he was playing for Ashanti Kotoko and a whole long list of other international players.
0: Wow, that's interesting. So, what is your advice on nurturing and encouraging African talent specifically in this world of football that you're in?
1: If you look at demographics, if you look at history and culture of the game, you will see that. Africa has a chance to be uh, the biggest producer of talent in the world. If you look at African cities growing at 10% a year with a lot of people coming from rural urban migration, uh, you realize that there are more people in cities now than there were before, which means there are more footballers to be discovered than there were before. If you look at demographic shift in terms of the amount of young people in the African population, Nigeria, for example, has probably a more young people more children under the age of 14 than the entire European Union. The next generation of great players will come out of Africa. It's a one billion strong continent. And there's no reason why Portugal with nine million people or Serbia with four million or Europe with four million. should produce more players than Congo. That has 80 million people and that has 16 million people in Kinshasa alone. So I think it comes down to uh, the fundamentals, which is uh, building capacity, uh, finding and creating the best platform to identify talent, to groom talent, and to expose talent.
0: How do you uh, define building capacity in this particular instance?
1: Building capacity comes down to building infrastructure. Uh, When I talk of infrastructure, I don't mean massive stadia like Africa builds for the nation called because most of these end up being white elephants. Yes. I'm talking about green around rural areas, urban centers, so kids could play. I'm talking about uh, training coaches that could coach kids to play. I'm talking about making it easy through school programs for more kids to play. The more kids to play, the better.
0: Right. So if a lot of kids start playing football, how can we then harness all that youth energy and, and talent to develop a generation of drogbas?
1: Uh, to develop a generation of drug bars starts with every generation is blessed with its own set of talented individuals. So the next generation will have probably more drug bars than they came before. The key is identifying, identifying them young, putting them in an enabling environment where they could have uh, the necessary uh, capacity to develop, and also building an infrastructure within the continent that can showcase their talent.
0: I, I know that you studied in the United States and you have links to the U.S. Can you tell us about any links uh, between Rainbow Sports and America,
1: no. Rainbow has made uh, uh, United States one of his key constituencies in terms of his key con- constituency in terms of uh, exposing African talent. Uh, some of the best African players in the MLS are Rainbow alumni: Anunga of Nashville, Nohu of Seattle, was in the All Star team of the MLS, the right back for Philadelphia Union. Um, Baizo is from us. We have an, a whole host of players that have gone through. Uh, USL and this year alone Rainbow through its clubs have facilitated the entry of our seven young Africans into MLS via the MLS Next League. So we, we take Americans seriously. America will be one of the leading uh, platforms for global soccer. I think United States will be a next big competitor to Europe in terms of uh, providing exposure and a platform for African players.
0: Say you've identified an exceptional talent in let's just say Nigeria, for instance, how do you get that exceptional talent into the MLS in the United States?
1: There's a problem, we have problems today because Africa is, is the issue of visas, is an issue that I think African governments should take seriously. We have a whole process to get a player in the United States. It's a, it's a, it's a strong, long and cumbersome process. When you identify a player, you need to first of all have a relationship with a club that will look at the player's videos and look at the player's data and accept to bring the player over either on a trial or on a small contract at that point the club will take the player's information and file through the department of employment for a p1 visa which is a visa of of exceptionally talented aliens if that petition is granted usually takes about 10 weeks 10 days if it's expedited uh the player now fills forms, application forms, and applies for P1 entry clearance at a local embassy in any African country. Uh, the, the good news here is America has a very streamlined visa process as opposed to Europe, and you can get a visa process within 48 hours, and the United States as a major power has diplomatic presence in most African capitals.
0: Our second guest is Eddie Mensah the managing director of the Right to Dream Academy. It's a very successful football school in Accra, Ghana. Girls and boys studying at the academy have two pathways after graduating. Either they take up a professional football career or they go to a U.S. university with a sporting scholarship. Our journalist, Esther Apiafe, spoke to him in Accra.
3: Can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do?
2: My name is Eddie Manson, as you mentioned. I am originally from Ghana. I go to school in Canada for a couple of years. And then from there, I was in the U.S. for a total of about 28 years. What I currently do is that I'm the managing director of the Right to Dream Football Academy here in Ghana. The organization has sort of three legs that it stands on. The first leg is football. The second leg is academic education. And then the third leg is character.
0: What can Africa do to see more players like Didier Drogba?
2: I think there are two ways to answer that question. The first one is for us to recognize that people like Didier who transcend football, almost, you know, once in a lifetime type of exceptions. So on the one hand, it's very hard to produce those kinds of people because they're just special talent that comes once in a, in a generation. On the other hand, we can produce people like that, right? Who may not necessarily be at the top, but have the same kind of characteristics. And So when I talk about what we try to do at Right to Dream, the key word is that we have to be intentional about building the habits. So when a student comes into our program and we tell them, that you are more than a footballer. We are understanding that we are going to help you develop your football skills, but we're also going to help you find what we call your purpose, right? Your purpose is something that's bigger than you, that's bigger than football, but you can use football as a tool to get there. And that's what GDA does, right?
3: Can you tell us a story of any of your players who has reaped the benefits of Right to Dream in the US? That question currently? is hard
2: because there are so many stories. Um. So... And I'm new to Ride to Dreams. I've only met a few of the alumni, but it's part of the reason I came in the first place. You know, Yamabuaten is one kid plays um, for New England Revolution. I remember when one of my students in the U.S. went to the same high school as him and they met. And then he told me about Ride to Dream in Ghana, which is one of the reasons why I got connected. But he went through that journey of going to a boarding school, playing for a professional team, played in the LA Galaxy with Steven Gerrard. So he's he's a great example.
0: All right. So thank you so much for your time, Eddie. But do you have any last words, you know, for kids who want to go into Write to Dream?
2: Uh, well, since this is going to be published, I really need to emphasize that we don't charge money. I really implore all our listeners, all viewers, to remind everyone that we don't charge money for entry. What we do is we have open trials. And so if you follow our official social media channels, you'll see where... We have those trials. And what I would say to a young person is, you want to hold on to your dream as long as possible, but a dream is not enough, talent is not enough if you're not willing to work hard. The key is to work hard, work smart, so that when the opportunity comes, you are ready.
0: Our third guest is Umu Khan, the director of the female football department at the Mauritanian Federation of Football. She's also a FIFA ambassador, and an alumni of the Mandela Washington Fellowship, the exchange program sponsored by the US government. She first organized a women's football match in 2013. That was a way to raise awareness about women's rights. The football match was such a success that they made it annual, and it's how Umu became one of the champions of female football in Mauritania. I started off by asking her about what obstacles she's faced while promoting football in a very conservative Muslim country.
3: Yeah, well, it wasn't easy at all. But I drew strength from the fact I had experience working as an activist fighting for women's rights in civil society. I had a strategy to do advocacy, to organize competitions in neighborhoods, to forge links with influential women, women who work in NGOs which are well known, which have a good reputation in the country. I approached all of these women. The parents were reticent at first, but when they saw that women's football was taking shape, that it was organised by the Federation, that it was formal rather than informal, the parents saw it as something concrete and they began to accept it. Even if we were attacked on social media, I mean, some people couldn't accept it. But today we have progressed a lot, But it was difficult because they attacked the girls. They called them tomboys. We were told we were promoting many things. So we showed that our objectives were sport and education. And they saw the results.
0: I asked her how we should encourage and train a new generation of players who could reach the same heights as Didier Drogba.
3: To reach the same heights as Didier Drogba, you have to concentrate on the basics. That's what we've done since the beginning with these young players who started in the championships in 2016 when we had a regular championship. From 2016 to nowadays, we also have younger categories and we also have seniors, so the championship is really established and works really well. That's how the girls have continued to develop till today. And they have been chosen for the national team and some have even been chosen by clubs. We have Tako Diabira, who is number 11 in Sacré-Cœur de Dakar, who were crowned champions of Senegal, and she was named the best player of the championship. It's pleasing to see results like this. So we have succeeded in developing drogbas.
0: I asked her to tell us the story of one young player whose life has changed because of football.
3: Of course, let me speak about a player who used to play in the neighborhoods in 2013 when we were starting the championships. When I took charge of the Federation, I remembered her and I asked, where is Farmer Anne? I was told that her parents said that seeing her play football was abnormal and that a spell had been cast on her, etc. They stopped her studies and took her back to the village. But I was very firm for her to come back because I knew it was always her passion since she was very young. Because i knew she had played in school tournaments disguised as a boy and people didn't realize i did everything i asked people i found one of her uncles and she came back in the national championship we organized she was with the club fc camera she played for two seasons and in 2018 in mauritania we organized the ffrim tournament where we award the player of the year before it was only men But that year, there were women, and Farmer Anne was named the best player in 2018.
0: One thing I know about Africans is that we love football, and the talent is limitless. It's time to build up opportunities for African footballers on the continent. We need future greats to play, not just abroad, but at home too. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit www.TrueAfrica.co slash Limitless or follow True Africa on Facebook and Twitter. Join in the conversation using the hashtag LimitlessAfrica. You've been listening to Limitless. I'm Claude Granitsky. The Limitless podcast is a production of True Africa. This podcast is made possible with a grant from the U.S. Department of State and the Fire Foundation.